Hey, local listeners, this is your host, Rob Kohansky. Welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast, where each week I interview local business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. What we do is we share their story of success and challenges and their journey and how they became a community leader. I truly believe that behind every small business is a story that needs to be shared. I want to put a big thank you to my sponsors, Exacta Corporation, Think Possibilities, Think Exacta. Rare leaders, connect, collaborate, contribute. Where leaders come to thrive and grow. Make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode, as well as always love your feedback. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome. How are you doing, Dr. Jim Taylor? Hi, Rob. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited about having you on here. I, was at, I had an opportunity to connect with you on LinkedIn and read a few of your articles and had, was able to introduce you to uh, my good buddy, Dr. Dennis Hill. And I thought this would be a good opportunity with everything that's going on in 2020 being one of those years of, uh, um, for the records. Uh, it'd be a good idea to bring you on with your background and get some insight for individuals and businesses and, you know, how to push through crises. So welcome to Local First Podcast. Thank you so much. So before we get into the nuts and bolts, nuts and bolts of, you know, handling crises and stuff like that, give the listeners a little bit of you know, background about who you are and, you know, and, you know, a little bit of your journey. Sure. Um, I, well, I hold a PhD in psychology. And I focused over the years on performance, how to maximize performance in high achieving people, whether athletes, business people, medical, tactical, whatever it might be. And I wrote my recent book uh, in 2019, How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen. And you could say that it was either fortuitous or not fortuitous that I wrote the book then, because in 2020, uh, obviously COVID hit and it created not just a crisis, but what I characterize as a perfect storm of crises where we have obviously have a health crisis, both individual and, and national, international and public. Uh, we have economic crisis at a family level and also at a global economic level. We have now a political crisis. We have uh, all kinds of crises going on, probably more crises than have ever struck our country all at once. And that is overwhelming and it's taking its toll on people. And so I, the feedback I've been getting um, is that my book and the ideas that I have can help people get through this crisis because there's no doubt that there is crisis fatigue and, and yet we still, for many reasons, have to stay very vigilant and connected to the crises to ensure that we get through, through them as quickly and as in, in, in healthy a way as possible. That's wild. That's, 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 a, that's a mouthful. I like that. So, I mean, I, when it comes to, you know, handling a crisis, like for, for myself, when this all began, um, it didn't really affect me until, you know, all of a sudden sports got canceled. My wife got laid off. Uh, business started to shut down and it kind of hit me like a ton of rocks. And it literally took me a few days to really just take everything in to realize this is really happening. Because at first initially, I'm like, well, that's someone else's problem across the sea or it's not going to be here. Uh, but what it did, it really took me and almost like a, you know, a switch and was like, oh, my God, this is really happening. And, and for, for, for me, a little bit, it just paralyzed me. Yes. And that is the reaction that happened to a lot of people. And what I think what's interesting, I think it'd be worthwhile in this conversation to step back and, and talk about really what is a crisis. 
Okay. So we all know we all know intuitively, Rob, what a crisis is, but but I really believe that fleshing it out can really help us understand what crises are, how they impact us, and what we can do about them. So if you'll indulge me a little bit in, ter- in this way, starting off with really my definition of a crisis, and that's an event that arises suddenly that disrupts our lives and threatens the status quo, and that also has both short-term implications, such as job loss, health challenges, as well as long-term and potentially harmful consequences, such as you know a, 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 a recession, um, an ongoing pandemic, um, and those kind of things as well. And there are, there are a couple of interesting qualities about a crisis that human beings don't like. First of all, a crisis by definition is, is unexpected. It happens suddenly. And certainly all of a sudden one day we're hearing about, we're shutting down, uh, the, 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 we're shutting down the country. Um, a really important part of a crisis is that it creates instability. Like the world we lived in that was predictable, that was comfortable, that was safe, is no longer any of those things. And there are three things that, that human beings really, really don't like. Um, is unfamiliarity, unpredictability, and uncontrollability. And one of the big things as we get into some solutions is how to replace those. And I, I think one of the scariest things, Rob, about um, this perfect storm of crises is that it's being experienced as trauma. So many people are experiencing post-traumatic stress. The, the rates of depression and anxiety and stress level among everybody, as well as especially among young people, um, is, uh, is, is very, very high. And really sadly, the, the implications of this perfect storm of crises are gonna be around for, perhaps for years for sure, as well as potentially for decades, both economically as well as educational and so on. So, so this is a rare experience in America, in the world, and that, that we've never faced before. Yeah, I can really, you're right on point there. And it's something that, you know, I look back in my life and never expected to anything like this to happen. I mean, I've gone through some really crises in my life and I know a lot of people have, but this as, as a, like you said, as a global level is really taken off, you know, what, so what makes the, the COVID-19 such a significant crisis? Sure, well, I wanna make a distinction between what I characterize as primitive crises and modern crises and how we are wired through evolution to deal with them. So let's take a, a trip back in time to the Serengeti 250,000 years ago when human beings first became human beings, homo sapiens. And we, through evolution, developed this thing called the survival instinct. And so basically whenever our lives were threatened, we would take action. And back in the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, um, those threats were, were um, a rival tribesman with a really big club or a saber-toothed tiger. And so these, these primitive crises, they were very immediate. They're right in front of us. They're happening right now. Um, they're also very clear. The threat was being eaten or being beaten. And they're very tangible. So you could do something about them. So that's how our, uh, we become wired to respond to crises. However, what worked then doesn't work in modern times. Because if you look at COVID and many of the other crises we're facing here, they're not immediate. They're not clear and they're not tangible. Uh, we certainly couldn't foresee that these them occurring. Um, in many ways, they're sort of indirect and distant. And, and also in this case, they're delayed and they're lingering. So we're seeing, for example, um, for a long time, parts of the country didn't see any kind of COVID, but then it caught up with them and now it's spreading and they're having surges and so on. So a really troubling aspect of this, which I touched on a minute ago or so, is that modern day crises are beyond our, our ability to control individually. So we can't cure COVID ourselves. 
We can't readily get away from it ourselves. So we're put in a situation where our natural reaction, what I call a crisis mentality, is to, to have the survival instinct triggered and to, um, to fight or flee. So I'm sure you've all, you've heard about the fight or flight reaction. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, so along with that primitive crisis in, in my book, I make this distinction first with a crisis mentality. And again, if you'll indulge me in a brief lesson in neuroanatomy. So at the base of the brain in what's called the primitive brain is, is, a, is a structure called the amygdala. And the amygdala is basically a filter through which all information passes first. The purpose of which is if there is a threat in that information, we will react instantaneously. And so on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, we see a rival tribesman and instantly we process that through our amygdala and we, the survival instinct kicks in and then we feel our fight or flight response. And so we have two options here to, to increase our chances of survival. We can fight, we can flee. And what that does is it causes intense emotions such as fear, frustration, anger, and then some sort of frenzied reaction that will increase our chance of survival. So we'll, we will fight frantically or we will run away as fast as we can. And that worked pretty well. But that crisis mentality, again, that instantaneous powerful emotional reaction that causes us to panic or react in very strong ways doesn't work today because we don't have that immediate threat to respond to. And so what, what I talk about in my book, the, the, what we want to work toward is what I call an opportunity mindset. Uh, another brief little bit of neuroanatomy here, that there's a part of the brain up, uh, up on top called the cerebral cortex. I'm sure you've heard of it. Our listeners have heard of it that separates us from animals and especially a particular part in the front of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is involved in what's called executive functioning. And it's the ability to think really, to make decisions, to make choices, to examine options, to weigh risks and rewards, uh, short-term versus long-term consequences. And so what's really important in facing a crisis like we're facing today, to be able to disengage our amygdala and engage our prefrontal cortex. And that involves look, not jumping, reacting immediately, but being able to step back and take a deliberate and purposeful and calm approach to what is the best way to deal with this crisis? So that distinction between crisis mentality and the shift to opportunity mindset is the way we respond better to modern crises than primitive crises. Opportunity mindset. That's a good one. I love that. That is really good. So when you, when you talk about, you know, these, these crises and the opportunity, what we have and how we've evolved in that, how are people now reacting to, you know, these crises differently than before? Now we have the opportunity where I've seen some businesses or some people themselves, you see this as an opportunity to move forward and push forward, others to just drop out altogether. And right. some people just stay stagnant and they're not doing anything at all. Right. Well, part of the fight or flight response is also what's called the freeze response. And we, we know that best is the deer in the headlights. Sure. The, the deer have evolved that if, they, if, if there's a perceived threat, if they stand still, maybe that, that wolf or fox won't catch them. And a lot of people are like deer in the headlights um, in responses where they just freeze like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And, and Rob, I do want to be very sensitive to the fact that there are a lot of people in our country and around the world who have suffered, um, um, who are suffering very directly and powerfully. So, for example, your wife lost her job, creating some economic threats there. Um, some people have COVID or the family have gotten COVID or some people have died. So 
So I don't. I, I want to be very sensitive to the fact that there are people who are really suffering during this crisis. Right. At the same time, there are a lot of people who it has it hasn't touched them that much. You know, they they've stayed healthy. Um, they've um, they've been able to ha- either keep their job or they had the financial means to to weather the storm, as it were. And and these are the people who really the most of us, I suppose, who can really look at this crisis as an opportunity, because what's interesting about a crisis is that it disrupts our lives. We love routines. We love the, the comfort of having our life patterns. The problem with that is that we can fall into ruts where we where we live our lives in a way is because that we've always lived our lives that way, not necessarily because that's the way we really want to live our lives. So this disruption is also an opportunity to step back and evaluate our lives and say, what kind of life do we want to lead? Myself or my family, for example. Is this where we want to live? Is this the work we want to do? Are these the things we value? And so it's a, it, this is an incredible opportunity because our, our lives are disrupted, but in, in this case, in a positive way, because we can really look critically at what kind of life we're leading and is this the kind of life we want to live? And out here in, in Northern California, we're seeing a lot of people move into the mountains or, or deciding that remote work is way more is way more enjoyable and actually more more um, productive. And so starting with that point of this is not just this immense threat, this crisis, but it's also an opportunity. And given the fact that we have a lot of downtime, I'm not commuting every day to the office in the city, things like that. Um, what kind of life do I want to lead? And to be able to make some deliberate choices and maybe some big, big changes or small changes, whether it's moving to the mountains or simply deciding, you know what, I'm going to eat healthier or I'm going to take care of the house better, or I'm going to exercise more, whatever it might be. Hmm. So what are some of the ways that, you know, we can grow from a crisis in, you know, that said, I mean, we've touched on a little bit from, you know, being able to work remotely and move like that, you know, but what are some of the other ways that we can actually grow from this and, you know, take a step back and, you know, look at ourselves and say, okay, I, like you said, I want to eat healthy. I want to work out. I want to be more with my family. Right. Yeah. So a couple of steps that can be taken. Probably the most important first step in all this, it sort of sets you up for the later stages, is to identify what you can control in your life um, within all the things now that we can't control and control those controllables. So again, it might be sleeping well, eating well, exercising, doing your work, taking care of your kids, um, whatever it might be. Identify those things. Because as, as I said earlier, we human beings don't like to be out of control. Because on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, it probably meant we were going to die. Yeah. And so psychologically and emotionally, we feel better when we take control of our lives. But unfortunately, we can't control the pandemic. We can't control the economic upheaval. But what we can do is look at our daily lives and look at what we can control. And that, that by the way, is a little di- digression here. That for parents, that's really important because this is a scary time for kids because they, a lot, especially young kids, don't really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just like people are getting sick and my dad's out of work or whatever it might be. So the more in control we as parents can be, the more comfortable and safe and secure our children are going to feel. And they're going to be and so they're going to have less of, 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 of the pandemic is going to have less of a negative effect on them. So first, starting with controlling the controllables. Second of all, the natural tendency when we're faced with a crisis is to want to crawl up in a ball in front of the sofa eating ice cream and binge watching our favorite TV show or whatever your equivalent of that is. Because our natural tendency, if we bury our head in the sands as the ostrich does, maybe the pandemic won't notice us or the economic crisis won't notice us. But 
this perfect storm doesn't play favorites. It's it looks for anybody and anything to assert itself. So it's really important during this time to what I the, the phrase I use is reignite your motivation. Find something that you can care deeply about, that you can direct your energy toward and and commit to it. And again, it could be your work, which is so important keeping your job these days and doing a good job. It could be making sure your family are safe and healthy. It could be, again, eating well, exercising, pursuing something. Maybe you always wanted to learn to play the guitar, but because you commuted two hours a day each way, you didn't have the time. So whatever it might be, find something that you can connect to, that you can commit to and engage with and reignite that motivation. Because that is an incredible uh, antidote for depression and anxiety. And even if even if we haven't reached the clinical level of, of, of depression and anxiety, there's no doubt the vast majority of us, myself included, have experienced depression and anxiety during this time because there is so much uncertainty. Again, so much unfamiliarity, so much unpredictability. And because we don't know if it's gonna get us, COVID's gonna get us, or when the vaccine's gonna come out, or when we're gonna be able to go outside and go into stores without masks and be within six feet of people. That is really uncomfortable. And so the more we can direct our thoughts, our energies into positive directions, the healthier it's gonna be for us. And it becomes a buffer against all those negative emotions and those negative feelings that we're having. I like that, that's, that's really great information. I just gotta take a quick break here. Uh, I wanna thank Exact Corporation and their family organizer um, built around designed around your family, the social fundamental network. Uh, check it out at Indiegogo and exactacorp.com. So you have in here, tell me about your five life hacks to you know, guide people through the uh, the COVID. You know, yeah, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. Now, before I do, I do want to mention a couple of other quick things that people okay. can do. Sure. Um, first, I mentioned all these negative emotions. Well, one thing to help combat all those negative emotions is to proactively generate positive emotions. So do things that make you feel good, happy, at peace, whatever. Again, exercise is great. Cooking a good meal, um, being with friends safely, of course, um, uh, playing, listening to music, uh, playing an instrument, doing art, whatever it is that you like to do that gives you what I call the warm fuzzies, build that into your day. Because that is an incredible bulwark against all those negative emotions that every day you watch the news, you read the paper, whatever it might be, we're being bombarded with things that make us feel lousy. And, you know, that, it is so true. And, you know, the, the kind of compound that point, that's how it was affecting my, my wife, where she was getting uh, the, all these alerts on her phone, constantly getting these notifications. And I saw the, how it was affecting her. And what I ended up doing was I told her I had to update her phone. And what I did was, yeah, I updated phone, but I turned off all her notifications except texts from her family. She didn't realize it, but you could just see the difference. So she wasn't constantly getting bombarded by all that information and all that news and all that negativity. You could just see the difference, you know, over a few days. That's just a great example. And I love the way you do that. And hopefully you can tell your wife you did it at some point after the crisis is over. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully she'll thank you for it. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, so two other things that are really important. Um, you've heard the phrase social distancing, of course. Sure. Um, I wrote a blog post about this a couple of months ago. I hate that phrase. Because, yeah. because what it suggests is to socially distance. And that's not an accurate representation of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to physical distance. So yes, we need to keep six feet apart. But unfortunately, what this idea of social distancing has created is isolation. 
and loneliness. And more than ever during this crisis, we need to connect with people. We need the support of other people. We need to come together as, as, as family, as neighbors, as community, as a country, as a world, and work together to do this. So it's so important. Proactively reach out and connect with people. It might be over, um, over technology like Zoom or Skype. It might be um, talking to your neighbor six feet apart. Whatever it is, stay connected. Because one of the most one of the most robust findings, Rob, um, related to stress, is that social support is an incredible buffer against stress. Yeah. So so really making an effort to connect with people around you. Um, last thing before we get to our life hacks is gratitude. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, what can happen with this perfect storm of crises is it can take over our lives, and and we start looking through the world through this lens, this brown colored lens. It's so awful and so bad, and life's terrible. But for most of us, yes, our life's been been disrupted, but still there's a lot of good things that have come out of it. So certainly early on with the pandemic, I heard from so many parents and myself as well, that it's been so great to spend more time with my kids and to really build connections. Now that's sort of waned, I will say, that's lessened quite a bit as, as, we've been, as we were in the same house 24 hours a day. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, look for opportunities to express gratitude. So, so I'm every day grateful that my family is safe and healthy. I'm grateful that we, we have enough money in the bank to, to weather this storm. I'm grateful to have the, 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 the support of friends and family around the country. That idea of gratitude, because again, there's been a really profound amount of research that has shown that people who express gratitude and receive gratitude are happier. Yeah, I totally and so, agree. And so we, we forget that there are a lot of good things in our life still when things are quote unquote going bad. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you got to look at those, and that that's that's helped me out in the past. I'm always, you know, I have a gratitude book that in that I journal in every single day that I'm thankful for things, and it could be as simple as a sunny, warm day out when it's cold in Milwaukee. So, it's those those types of things. All right, Jim, are you ready for your life hacks? I'm ready. Let's All do right. it. What, what are they? Yeah. So so again, thinking about this idea that that disrupting our lives can be a positive thing, and so now we can do things with the with, with that disruption. The first is time. Now, time for me is our most precious resource because it is non-renewable. We can make more money, we can get more food, but time, once it's gone, it's gone. And what the pandemic has caused is it's given us more, most of us more time, whether it's, be, whether it's because not having to commute multiple hours during the day, or unfortunately, maybe people have lost their jobs, but they, they have to do something with their time. So sit down and figure out how do you want to spend your time? Because again, non-renewable resource, we want to use our time in the most in the most valuable way, in a way that's most consistent with what we value and our priorities. And so using that time in a way to make our lives or the lives of other people better. So that's life hack number one, using time thoughtfully and wisely and in a way that enriches our lives. Second is family. Now, after seven or eight months, I have to admit this, this, I might have to take this one off because too much time with our family can be a little too much time with our family. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it is, an, again, this opportunity for people who work hard, long hours, travel for their work, don't get to be with their family very much. It is a great way to, to, to reconnect and share each other's lives and participate in, in shared family activities. And so maybe it's not quite the same as it was the first month or two, but still it's really, really valuable to think about that our family is the, is, is the central nuclear unit of, of our lives and that we should look for ways to build those relationships and build connections. And I have two teenagers and that's a time when there's a natural typical set separation. 
And this has been a wonderful opportunity for me to find those op- those chances to connect with them um, that I might not have ordinarily been, been able to, to bring us together. So that's time ha- life hack number two. Uh, number three, of course, is exercise. Because yes, COVID can hurt us physically, but there are so many other things in our lives that we often hurt ourselves with without that, that hurt our bodies. And our physical health is fundamental to all our other kinds of health and happiness. So with this free time, make a commitment to some sort of exercise. And it doesn't have to be training for an Ironman or a marathon. It might just be going for a walk every day with your dog, but getting out and being active because also exercise has been found as an incredible buffer against the emotional trauma, the depression, the anxiety of crises that come up in our lives. So exercise is is a wonderful tool psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially. So going out and walking with friends, six feet apart, of course, but um, in a safe way. But exercise is a a phenomenal life hack. Um, Number four, um, declutter. Now, I have to say that I've gotten a lot of pushback on this one because I'm a declutterer. I'm a a minimalist. I hate having junk around the house that, that, um, that, that haven't used in months. But one thing I noticed for the first couple of months of, of COVID was a, um, a lot of stuff on the, a lot of junk on the sidewalk outside people's houses. Yeah. So decluttering for me is both practical in that you keep filling your house up until there's no more room for you to live. And then you have to get a storage locker and then another storage locker and so on. But it's also a metaphor for our minds and our hearts and our lives. <clears throat> and that when we declutter the junk in our homes, in doing so, sort of therapeutically, we're decluttering the junk in our minds and in our hearts and, and going back to the, sim- the simple things that matter and having a lot of junk doesn't matter. What matters is having the few things in your life. And for me, it's bikes. I'm really into biking. And, um, and so, um, and for other people, they have their things, the few things in your, li- your life that bring you joy or that have some practical value. And by clearing all that junk out of your mind and your heart, you can feel more deeply you can think more deeply and, and you can experience life more richly. So decluttering is a really wonderful one. The last one is a, is a, little, bit, a little bit bigger and it's change old habits. Change is an incredibly difficult thing to do, Rob. You know, there's a self-help industry aimed at helping people change, you know, multi-billion dollars a year. Why is it a multi-billion dollar a year industry? Because nobody's quite figured out how to help people change. And what makes it difficult in our normal lives before a crisis like the pandemic, we create our lives to support our habits. So we hang out with the same people and we take the same route to work and we do all these things, these habits and routines and patterns, even though they might not make us happy and they might in fact be unhealthy, like overeating, like smoking, like not getting enough exercise, um, whatever it might be. And so this pandemic this crisis is an opportunity for, because of the disruption to look, you know what, this is a habit that I really don't want to engage in anymore. And now I have the space and the time to devote to it. So what I would suggest is pick one thing in your life that you don't like about who you are or the life you lead and look for ways to change it. And so change, as I said, is very difficult, but you, you first identify the thing you want to change. Um, you set some goals about what you want to change and how you want to change and what the end game is. Important, you look for obstacles. For example, I, when I would, on the way to work after parking my car, I'd always walk by um, Dunkin' Donuts and I'd buy a, an eclair, even though it was really unhealthy. Right. Well, now you, have, now you have the opportunity to not walk by the Dunkin' Donuts and not buy the eclair. So you, you can eat, eat more healthy there. Um, and then make a commitment to it. 
because change is hard because old habits die hard. But Rob, old habits do die if you allow them to die. The last thing is to then replace them with healthy habits, with a habit that you really would like to do. Is that a mindset that people have to like struggle with? I know that some habits are harder to break than others. You know, it's like for some things, you know, I look at it as like, you know, you do things because of, you know, whatever habit that is. But if you change that mindset in your environment, does it make it a little bit easier? Completely. You have to change both your environment because we create environments that support our habits Mm -hmm. and we have to change our mindset. We have to decide, I'm going to make this change. Because without that commitment, change ain't going to happen, Rob. Right. Because because you just, without that commitment and that thinking of being aware of that bad habit you want to stop, you're just going to do the bad habit because by definition, habits are things that you do without thinking about them. Right. So it, for, for example, it's like for myself sometimes, and this is, you know, this is myself is like when I try to change things, I get kind of down on myself. If I fall off or a day or two and have to pick myself back up and go in it, you know, what would you recommend for individuals say like, Hey, I failed today and yeah. I got to get back on it. Right. Well, that's unfortunately what happens is people will get on it for a while. Like let's say they try to quit smoking or drinking or something like that, or, or they try to start to exercise. And then one day they have, maybe they're tired or their willpower's down and they fall back on their old habit and they go, I'm a failure. But the, but the research is very clear. The people who change and make change in their lives are incredibly persistent. They are relentless. And that's a word that I use so often in my work because to make any kind of positive changes in your life, you have to be unrelentingly committed. And, but you also have to have perspective that you're not just going to go cold turkey. That rarely works. So you're going to have days where you fall off the wagon, but that's okay because that's part of the human journey. Sure. But, but what's important is to recognize, okay, you know, everybody's going to fall off the wagon. That's part of life. But you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to recommit. And so maybe at first it's three days, good behavior, bad day, and then four days and five days. And it slowly builds up until suddenly you're at this one day where you where you just do the new habit and you look back and go, oh, my gosh, I didn't have the urge to do that bad habit. And then you've got it. But it does take time. Typically, the research shows between four to six months of of real commitment. So, you know, unfortunately, in our life, in our world, everybody wants instant results. But that's simply not the way change works. Yeah, you got to change that mindset and put in the work. And like you said, you know, relentless commitment. I love that. I love that. What's what's the one thing right now that's got you fired up about the future? Yeah, I think that um, clearly, um, I don't want to get political here, but change is afoot. Um, we're, we're, we're very likely going to see some changes coming up. And whatever happens at the, at the highest level, I don't want to get into that so much because there are some people who listen to you might be um, politically conservative, others who are politically liberal. But more than anything, I think this crisis has really um, laid bare a lot of challenges that we need to have in our country. And what's most important for me is not look at, oh, there's the people on the right say this, the people on the left say this. This is an incredible opportunity for our country to come together. Yeah. Because in a crisis, we have to come together because if we don't come together and, and create common goals and identify common values and strive together, we're not going to get over this because this is no longer a red state thing or a blue state thing, a, a Trump versus Biden. It's none of that stuff. This is a United States of America thing. And if we want to get out of it, we need to come together and, and find solutions together. And that might mean compromise. That might be saying, okay, this this isn't going to work, but I'm going to do it. This might not work, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it seems like it it could. But more than anything, during this time when there's such separation, both literally in terms of physical distancing, as well as ideologically and so on, 
we need to come together and focus on what we all have in common, regardless of where we're from or what we believe. Because the only way we're going to overcome this perfect storm of crises is to do it together. I love it. That's good stuff right there. So uh, we're going to get into this next segment here. It's a little bit uh, a little bit more lighter and have some fun with it with some rapid fire questions. Uh, before we get into that, how do people get in contact with you, Jim, and find out more about your book, your blogs, and all the stuff that you're doing right now? Sure. Well, my book, again, is titled um, How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen. And you can go to Amazon, order it there. Um, I also have a website, of course. <laughs> um, it's very simple. It's drjimtaylor.com drjimtaylor.com. And I've got, again, blogs. I have a podcast called Crisis Opportunity. And um, and so people can uh, reach out to me there and learn all kinds of things about what I do. And they can also reach out to me directly by email, um, which is on my website, um, if they have any individual questions. Very good. As always, I'll make sure and put that in the show notes so people have access to that. Um, what I like to do now at this point is, is like I have a little bit of fun with my guest and, and do some, just some quick rapid fire questions. Uh, do a few of these here and then we'll wrap this up. So uh, before we get into that, um, I, I allow you to ask me like one question, any question, and I'll do my best to answer. Um, so um, let's see. Um, oh gosh, you put you now you you are putting me on the spot here. Um, one question in in your local community, what's the biggest concern at this moment? Um, the biggest concern, that's mo- you know, that's interesting that you say that is um, I think people have to come together and. Um, I'm part of a group called Rare Leaders. And one of the things is to be quick to listen, slow to talk. And I think we have to do a better job of asking better questions and listening to other people's ideas and opinions and not being so judgmental and defensive and having, you know, having that open mind. And I think that's just not here locally. I think that's, you know, uh, a really broader um, a question for people. And I know that, you know, I live in a very diverse neighborhood and, you know, it's always nice to sit down with individuals and get to know them for who they are and, and understand why they think or believe the way they do. And it's not because it's good, not because it's bad, but just that's who they are. That's a really wonderful sentiment, Rob. So I, I really uh, respect and appreciate your willingness to do that because it's, it's definitely hard to do. It, it is. It is. And I think that's, you know, more people just need to do that. And, you know, it's like you said, it can't be left or right, red or blue. It's, you know, we all have our own experiences. And I think it's just a matter of just understanding and being able to sit back and, and listen and ask the right questions. Very good. All right. You ready? I think so. Okay. All right. What obsessions do you explore on the evenings and weekends? Um, um, my obsession now in my life is triathlon. Triathlon. So I um back in in my early 40s I um I got into triathlon from marathon running and I did a couple of Ironmans um and then I got married and had kids and I sort of lost my competitive mojo um and I still stayed active of course because I love biking and running and so on but then last summer I, I somehow my mojo came back just sort of popped up and now I'm super into triathlon so now I'm training incredibly hard and trying to get a high national ranking and qualify I qualified for nationals and I would want to try to qualify for world championships next year. So that's, um, I'm pretty obsessed with triathlon. I like that. And hopefully I'll get to see you here in Milwaukee next year in Ruchian. Definitely. That'd be okay. If you could give a Ted talk on something outside of your expertise, what would it be? Oh boy. Um, let's see. It's, it's hard to separate. Um, I, I think I would probably, um, just outside of my expertise, 
gosh, you're not supposed to be able to do that. You're supposed to be an expert at, at TED Talks. Right. <laughs> um, I, I guess I guess I would probably talk about um, uh, being a parent. And this is a little bit of a, of a crossing the line there because I've written five parenting books. But um, but it, the way I joke about how it's easy to be a parenting expert for other kids, other people's ki um, kids. Um, whereas with my own, I struggle as much as everybody else. So just really drawing on my, my life experiences as a father of two teenage girls and some of the challenges I've faced and, um, and some of the ways I've got, gotten around it. Um, another one I think also is just um, personal growth. And I guess, again, this is sort of what I do, but it's, psychology is, is in everything. So it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge there. But I think just the, the journey that we all make as people, trying to get to a place where we find peace and, and contentment and happiness and connection with others. Um, I, I think the journey that I've taken over the years, which is, you know, it's an ongoing journey, but has definitely come to a, a, a good, not a, not a destination, but a way station in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would, it would be, it'd be, it'd be, I think somewhat instructive and interesting for other people to hear. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Um, feel deeply. Feel deeply. Yeah. Uh, that came, that came pretty quick. Didn't it Rob? That didn't I take like that one. Long. How yeah, is it, yeah. it, it a parent failure or a failure or a parent failure set you up for later success? Um, I, I think feeling pain and, and, uh, and learning from the experiences and, and being open to, to not having to be a certain way. I, I think one of the great life lessons I've learned is that, you know, as we grow up, we sort of create a, a way of our, a way of our being, a way we deal with the world. And it's often because we're insecure or we have fears or doubts or worries. And um, one of my major goals in life is to let go of all that crap. I'm sorry if I was using that such rough language and, um, and just, just be able to just be who I am and be comfortable with that and, and, and allow people to embrace that and allow myself to embrace other people. That's good. You know, Jim, you gave up a lot of great information here and I'm going to put all that in there. Make sure people, your listeners, make sure to check out his book um, on Amazon as well. I'll put the links on there in the show notes. Any ask or request for the audience and any last parting words? Um, I, I think during this very difficult time, uh, again, making sure that you take care of yourself and take care of your family and then look for opportunities during the course of a week to, to reach out to others to help. Because there, I think I found personally that there's very few things more gratifying than helping others and, and having it not be about me. Right. And so, uh, you know, one little task once a week, even if just once a week, do something for others. And because when you do something for others, yes, it helps them. It's so important, but it thoroughly nourishes our hearts. And, and that is that's incredibly powerful. I love that of what you just said there, Jim, because I love it. It's like I, one of my things I like to do is, and I try to, to I taught my, my kids to do this, is to, to give and to help others without expectation of anything in return. And I think that's the most powerful thing in there because if you're expecting something for return, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I truly believe that. So uh, a lot of great information. Hey, listeners, uh, make sure that if you find this value, make sure you share it with someone. I mean, this is not just for, for you, but just your family members, anybody else that you think can get something out of this. Um, make sure that you check me out. Uh, send me a message if you like what you hear. Even if you don't like what you hear, still send me a message. Check me out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Just search for Local First Podcast. Dr. Jim Taylor, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. It was truly a pleasure to have you on the show. Enjoyed it immensely, Rob. Thanks so much and be well. Thanks so much.